1: Hey, 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 welcome to the Road of His Division Preview Series. I'm your host, Dave LeCoe, and I'm excited to be breaking down the NFC West today. Of course, we'll have seven more of these preview series coming out over the next few weeks with some of the very best Road of His hosts, including Mike Randall, Neil Dutton, and Calm Kelly, so you will definitely want to be checking those out. Don't miss anything. Be sure to be subscribing to the Road of His channel. Follow us all on Twitter so that you don't miss a thing. On today's episode, I am excited to be talking to Grant Cohn of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat where he covers the 49ers, as well as Matt Harmon, the creator of the world-renowned Reception Perception and writer and analyst for Yahoo Sports. He and I will dive deep into the LA Rams and touch on some of the other teams in the division. We'll be hearing from our guests to try to figure out what to make of this division, which players should we be targeting for fantasy, and what guys should we be avoiding? Are there any surprise sleepers? And just in general, what should we be looking out for? The NFC West is a pretty interesting division. There's a lot of questions regarding the backfields, especially, so we'll definitely be spending some time trying to figure out what to make of all of this. But before I jump into anything else, I want to tell you that Rotiviz Patreon is back for a second season and it is better than ever. Patronships start at just $6 per month, and we now offer exclusive access to Rotoviz Radio Slack, where you can ask questions and gain league-winning advice from many of the podcast and writing team. Patrons also get first dibs on listener league spots. Leagues will be starting very soon, and in the $9 tier, you get some sweet Rotoviz radio merch at the end of the season. So become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading program. You can find this at patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz Radio. Alright let's get into it. Let's talk about the NFC West. We're going to start off with an interview with Grant Cohn to talk all things 49ers. After the interview, I'll break down the 49ers using the Rotoviz projection machine that can be found exclusively on the website. We're going to examine the target breakdown in in the receiving core and jump into the backfield and try to really determine what we can learn, what we can dissect from what Grant's told us about preseason camp. All right, let's hear from Grant. Alright, I am joined now by Grant Cohn, online columnist for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, covering the 49ers. Grant, it is so good to have you back on the show.
3: Hey Stephon. thank you so much for having me, really looking forward to doing this.
1: Yeah man, it's uh, 49ers camp. I feel like we can almost, I mean some of the names are different, but I feel like we can almost kind of uh, do a repeat of last year because we never got to really see what this offense was with, with all the injuries and craziness that took place.
3: Yeah, it's like they're pressing a reset button on 2018. They're going to bring Jarek McKinnon back in the fold and see what he can what he can give. I mean, he's not going to play in the preseason, so anyone who drafts him in fantasy football is going on pretty much faith and uh, a hope and a prayer. But it's a projection that you know that Kyle Shanahan handpicked him, wants to use him, is going to give him targets. That's what makes the Niners interesting. Is like all these guys are projections from McKinnon to Dante Pettis to Debo Samuel. Uh, but you know that the head coach backs each of these players, picks each of these players, and is going to be the one calling their numbers. So right. if Dante Pettis struggles, you know he's still going to get a lot of targets because the uh, the head coach stuck his neck out for him and traded up in the second round to get him.
1: Right, right. Let's talk about Shanahan for just a minute here. Uh, how did you feel, just real quick, how did you feel he did last year given all the injuries? Did you feel like he, he did a good job? And what do you think it means for this upcoming season?
3: Well, he did a good job developing certain players on offense, like his tight end and his backup running back and his backup quarterback. I feel like he would even agree that despite the injuries he's had, he had to McKinnon and uh, and Garoppolo, that the Niners still lost games they should have won. I mean, he even came out and said they lost. I mean, they lost twice to Arizona, who was even worse than the Niners. Right. Uh, they lost. They gave away a game at home to the Giants, who were awful. They lost a lot of games they should have won. Even with those excuses, they should have been seven and nine. So when you look at the roster now and say maybe they should be nine and six, ten and uh, nine and seven, ten and six, yeah, that's fair. I mean, they should have been seven and nine last year, even with Nick Mullins and CJ Beckley. But the question is like, is this a team that really knows how to win? Or are they gonna keep losing games that uh you know, that they should win? Are they gonna keep finding ways to lose? Right. So that's kind of the hallmark of teams like with uh, offensive coordinators as head coaches who don't really who aren't really real leaders like you know the North Turner Washington Redskins of the nineties, we've seen that a million times. Anyway, Kyle Shanahan's young and this is his year to
1: prove that he's a real head coach. Yeah, and and I like something you you mentioned on your Periscope the other day. I think it may have been yesterday or the day before, where you you mentioned some of uh, Shanahan not necessarily calling out the wide receiver core, but definitely not just heaping praise on them. Saying they had to be more consistent, and I know that that went a long way with you, just showing that he's not just going to be, you know, this offensive guy who's who's not keeping his guys accountable, but really wants to to see them, yeah, pr- perform at a high level and to do it consistently.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's the difference between being an offensive coordinator and a head coach. Uh, an offensive coordinator is kind of like the dreamer, the optimist. He believes in everyone, and the head coach kind of has to be the one who. Uh, creates a standard of accountability. And I, I thought he did that really well. He said, look, I, I believe in the ability of these players, clearly. He picked them. At the same time, he says, there's no consistency here and it needs to happen now. And that's, he didn't really talk that way the first two years. And a lot of times in practice, uh, penalties would happen and he would just go to the next play like like he was waiting for the head coach to to, uh, to make a big stink about it. And now I think he's sort of he, he's sort of finding his voice more as a real leader which is key because no one else is going to do it on this team. It's, it has to be him. This is his organization. And it's it's interesting. It seems it's early, uh, but it seems like he's at least uh, taking steps in the right direction.
1: Yeah, no, oh, that's good. I'd like to, to, to swing over to Jimmy Garoppolo real quick. He was a guy that we were both curious about and excited for, I think, uh, going into last year. And then obviously, you know, he only gets to play three games. He's got the injury. And I feel like we didn't really learn a whole lot. Like, is he going to be able to convert in the red zone? Is he going to be able to to keep interceptions down? I know you've been impressed with him in camp so far. Do you feel like he's taking that next step? That's a really good question.
3: I can't say that I feel like he's taking the next step. I'm starting to, to see the Jimmy Garoppolo we saw in 2017. I mean, he really throws a nice ball. He has really good mechanics when he's locked in and playing with discipline. The question with him is, how many passes is he going to throw to the other team? Because yeah. in the training, the Niners have dropped a slot, three, about three interceptions to him, uh, and he's only attempted about 70, 75 passes. So still, mistakes, sacks, and I think what that stems from is how cerebral is he of, of a quarterback? I think we assumed he was going to be extremely cerebral coming from New England, right. studying under picking taking Brady, but I think what my experience is, here is he's not necessarily Alex Smith or even Colin Kaepernick I think he's more of the average on the average spectrum uh uh, mentally of quarterbacks and I think that may be an issue because he is in the most complicated demanding offensive system in the league and to take this to to its highest expression you really need to be kind of like a nerd at at quarterback like Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins Sure. And I think it's on Jimmy Garoppolo to prove that he has that in him, that he can learn the offense and, and sort of, uh, you know, operate it like at robot level efficiency. And he hasn't done that at all yet. He did it in 2017, but he was dealing with like a, like an eighth of the playbook. In 2018, he had more of it, and he he was much more hesitant, uh, lingering on reads. And I, see, I still see that a lot in training camp. Like he drops back and he's looking at Dante Peddick and he's looking at Dante Peddick and he's looking at Dante Peddick. It's like, no, man, he, he's either open or he's not. you got to move on. And, the one thing I like about, I mean, I like a lot of things about Nick Mullins. Uh, he may not have a strong enough arm to be an NFL starting quarterback, but in this system, you see him, he's extremely decisive. He gets through his reads extremely quickly, and that's what Jimmy Garoppolo uh, needs to get to. So it, what's good for him is he has a backup who can push him in those ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know that that's really good. I remember you even talking about Nick Mullins last year saying, this guy's not so bad. So it is nice to have yeah. someone who, who can, you know, like you said, he may not be a starter, but he is a good guy to have backing him up Uh, a question I was going to ask you that you kind of just touched on is um, in camp so far have you noticed Garoppolo leaning towards one receiver or the other and it sounds like Pettis might be that guy but we did just hear this news and and please you can give me a a virtual slap here if you need to but we saw the news that Pettis uh, is listed behind Marquise Goodwin who I was really excited about last year on the depth chart uh, Marquise going with the ones do you think that means anything Is, is that anything that we need to uh to think about looking towards the season and, you know, especially fantasy players who might be looking at, I know Pettis is a darling this year, just like Goodwin was last year. So just kind of curious if, if Garoppolo has been singling out anyone other than maybe George Kittle and uh, yeah, what, what that might mean going forward.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's too early to say it was Pettis. It was just one day he's been starting all camp and he's been struggling. It was interesting. It was the first day back from an off day. So the Niners took the day off and easy in those days, Always on those days, the, the coaches get together, watch and they, they grade all the players, and they usually reshuffle the depth chart. And from the first day back, they had Kendrick Bourne starting at flanker and not Dante Pettis. Also during that day, Dante Pettis only got one target during 11-on-11. Wow. caught it yeah. and, and got the ball taken away from him. He, he really seems like he's playing with poor body language or, or, or losing confidence. He doesn't seem like he has, he's playing with urgency or you know, the, the – uh, any of the, the the markers of a number one wide receiver. At the same time, it, it would make sense that Kyle Shanahan would probably uh, try to light a fire under him, get him going. I, I, there's a lot invested in Dante Pettis, and I don't think they're giving up on him after 10 days of training camp. I just do think it's clear that he's having a rough camp. He was better last year. He seems to be struggling with just confidence. Um, and it, it, He's a young wide receiver, and they really didn't give him much, uh, much competition. They just said, it's on you to, to step up and be the number one guy here. And I think he, there's a lot of pressure in there. But your original question was, who is Jimmy Garoppolo going to the most? And it's three guys so far in camp. It's Pettis, it's Trent Taylor, and it's uh, George Kittle. And so far, Garoppolo seems to have a, a decent rapport with uh, Taylor and Kittle, um, but it's not there yet with Pettis. And they ha- have about a month to work it out or figure out someone else to play that flanker spot.
1: Let's uh, let's Let's sit on that for a moment here. You mentioned Taylor. Uh, of course, we've already talked about Pettis and 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 Marquise here. How how do you see the target share kind of uh, shaping out for this team? I know you know the the Niners tend to move the ball around quite a bit. Obviously, getting the tight end involved. H- how do you think the the projection share will will kind of pan out throughout the season? Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it seems to me that since Shanahan's the one calling the plays, he's going to want to he's going he's going to want to get the ball to Kittle and Pettis, those are his guys. He traded up for Pettis. He, no one believes in Pettis more than Cosman. Yeah. So in, in, until Pettis really proves him wrong, he's getting the ball. It's going to be him and, and Kittle a lot. And when it's when the Niners go to eleven personnel, when they have three wide receivers on the field and Trent Taylor's out there, uh, Garoppolo loves throwing to him. If it's third and less than eight, he, he's looking at Taylor first. Okay. So I, I could see those three guys getting a lot of targets and Kevin Coleman as well. The guy's over the middle. I mean, Garoppolo likes throwing up at the middle. He likes throwing between the numbers. It's where he's best. So the running back, the tight end, the slot receiver, and then the question is, is there one guy outside at wide receiver who can step up and beat single coverage? Because all of these guys are young and unproven, and they're all having very inconsistent at best hands.
1: Yeah. how's Debo Samuel look to you?
3: He, see, I like Debo Samuel. He's better than I expected. He's stronger than Dante Pettis. I think faster than Dante, Dante Pettis. He plays with more urgency. He has that sort of like, this like I want the ball on every snap kind of feel that you like from a wide receiver. That being said, he's playing mostly with the backups. Uh, it seems like they're uh, bringing him along slowly, which they usually do with rookie wide receivers in this very dense system. Right. Um, I would be surprised if he's starting week one. He's the backup split end behind Marquise Goodwin. Uh, and yesterday he's playing, and I go over to this one, Jennifer Lee Chan, who covers the, the the team for NBC at Bay Area, and I, I say, is it just me or is Debo Samuel better than Dante Pettis right now? We were discussing it. I really feel that way. But then five minutes later, Debo Samuel gets uh, open deep in the end zone, wide open. Shanahan speeds him up. And he's standing there, like not moving in the end zone. The ball comes up and he drops it. Like, uh, well, yeah. you may not be ready to play week one either. I, I think the idea is he's going to be the long-term split end after – Goodwin's gone. I mean Goodwin's already twenty eight and he's probably not going to be here much longer. Um I think they'd like Pettis to be the starting flanker. So Debo's gonna get his chance. He may be the starting foot in by the end of the season. But if you're thinking of uh well, he'd be an interesting person to draft in fantasy football because he's probably gonna go late. He could end up being a high volume starter by week eight.
1: Right. Yeah, no, that's that's good. So so as of now, week one, if, in a three wide receiver set, would you kind of anticipate it being Pettis, Goodwin, and Trent Taylor? Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's kind of what I, what I thought too. It's just good, good to hear it from someone like yourself who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, but you I'm, just
3: got to remember it's fluid because all of these guys are struggling in camp and what happens in preseason probably will determine that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know that's good. And and a lot of times people are like oh, preseason's just preseason, you can't learn much, but on a team like the 49ers where there's such intense competition at the wide receiver position, right. that's where you can see players actually pull away and, and start to impress coaches and, and earn some of that playing well, time.
3: Right, because the coaches, are the whole idea is none of these guys are proven. Let's have a competition, and hopefully someone someone will step up. The whole point is no one has stepped up yet, but it's still early. Right. And these preseason games, if no one's going to step up in, in camp, maybe someone will step up in an actual game.
1: Let's uh, talk about, I mean, I think the the, the the 49ers backfield is probably one of the more tumultuous backfields in the league mm-hmm. this year, just because it's, it's really hard to know what to do. Last year, of course, as you mentioned, they brought in McKinnon, and people were really excited about him, and we never really got to see him do anything. Breeda really had a, a solid year, I think, uh, from a production standpoint. He was, you know, he wasn't elite necessarily, but he ended up, you know, averaging five over five yards an attempt on 153 carries. Only had three touchdowns, but a really solid year. And then, of course, they bring in Tevin Coleman. So I'm curious, um, Grant, how do you see the backfield uh, kind of shaping out? Do you think it'll be a true running back by committee, or do you think Tevin Coleman's going to get the bulk uh, and uh, the bulk of the work?
3: This is a great question, and it's it's, it's really impossible to answer because Jarek McKinnon hasn't been healthy. And we haven't seen how I haven't seen how Kyle Shanahan intends to use all three
1: in practice. It. Can I ask you real but quick I, about I, McKinnon? Uh, just him coming back. Yes. Is Kyle Shanahan the kind of coach that will throw him into the fire as soon as he's ready, or is he going to want to see it from Jarek in in training camp, in practices, and in uh, in the preseason, or is he all, already well, just kind of the incumbent yeah that's
3: a great it's a really good question I mean I think some of that depends on what they're getting from their running running backs I mean if they get if Kevin Coleman and Matt Breeder are playing well there's no reason to rush back to Derek McKinnon and he, they just brought him back off PUP yesterday but he's not going to participate in 11 on 11s for a while and it seems yeah. like he's probably not going to participate in preseason either so uh I, I think oh, it's going to be tough to know what
1: to do there huh <laughs>
3: it, it's, it's really hard it's a very difficult backfield to invest in the way I've seen it so far is if you take McKinnon off the table, because we really don't know if he's, if he's even going to come back. There's no, we have no idea what he's going to be, if he's going to be, whatever. Let's, let's, take him, let's put him to the side for a second. In camp, Kevin Coleman has taken almost all the rest of the starters. He's, he's playing like he's taught early. Is like, he looking really good? Gets him back. He is looking good, but it's camp, and you can't really tell how they're going to run the ball. What I want to say with Coleman is he's getting a lot of targets in the basket.
2: Wow, yeah. I think he's
3: going to be one of the more frequent uh, targeted players. But then again, if, if if McKinnon comes back and looks really good, McKinnon could eat into that. But what's gonna, what, the thing is, Coleman may may be slotted to be the starter. But if he comes out and averages 4.4 yards per carry, and Matt Breida is behind him averaging 5.3 like he did last year, I mean Breida's gonna Breida's gonna get his carries and eat into the, his eat into that projection production too, inevitably. So a lot of it is gonna depend on how they produce in a real game, not how they look. In practice, when they're not tackling each other, all I can say for certain is that is getting a lot of targets, and that bodes well for his fantasy football value.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, running backs—they catch the ball. That's 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 a nice. It creates a nice floor because then all of a sudden they're game script proof. And if the 49ers are are trailing and needing to pass a lot, all of a sudden these guys are uh, are, are 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 more involved. So uh, that's great. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you're not just uh, you know like a a huge fan of the Niners and just pumping everything up. You like to give like realistic outlooks and I really appreciate that. So uh, I'd like to ask you, where do you think this team lands, not just record wise, but just overall performance? I'd be curious to hear what you think their record will be as well, but overall performance, what what are your kind of expectations um, for the squad for, for 2019?
3: Yeah, I'm expecting six and 10. I'm expecting an offense that has a lot of big plays that probably ranks top 10 in yards, but continues to struggle in the red zone. Uh, continues to commit t- uh, turnovers at a high rate. Uh, I really think that this is a team that's going to continue to find ways to lose close games.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, in,
3: in this league, like what the Patriots have shown, the Patriots are not a dominant team. The Patriots are just a little bit better than everyone else, and they they find ways to be good in the right situations. And that's exactly where Kyle Shanahan has struggled since the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I don't want to rehash that, but like that's one of the biggest wonders in Super Bowl history, and it comes down to. Just tiny game management stuff. He has the be- some of the best, most creative ideas of getting people wide open down the field and creating big plays. But what's going to do- uh, make or break the 49ers is how Kyle Shanahan like handles... is as a game manager in-, in tight games because NFL games are always tight. And so far, he hasn't shown that he can do that. I mean, he's given away a lot of games. Their record in like, one-score games is abysmal. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. And the way I see it is he's coming off a torn ACL. He, his his starting center hurt. Western Michigan, that's a problem. And he has no one proven at wide receiver. He's going to have to dink and, his, dink and dunk his way across the field, throwing up to his running back and his slot receiver and his tight end is going to be double covered. I mean, there's a lot that has to go right like for this team. Um, and I think people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves when you have a you know an unproven head coach, an unproven quarterback, an unproven wide receiver core, and and, you, and you're, in a, you're in a division with some of the best, not just teams, but organizations in the league. I mean, the Rams are elite right now. The Seahawks have had a winning record seven seasons in a row in, 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 a, in a league where you just can't do that. They have an all-time great quarterback, an all-time great head coach. And now in Arizona, you've got a kid in Kyler Murray who people are saying looks like uh, like he could be the next Pat Mahomes. He's in the exact offense he needs to be in. And not only that, you look at the Niners. The Niners haven't beaten the Cardinals since 2014.
1: That is crazy. I mean, the Niners
3: are really – it's crazy. Like The Niners are not necessarily on the cusp of anything. Hmm. It, like they were four and twelve last year, and a lot of it, a lot of the the hopes and aspirations are, are just faith based on Kyle Shanahan's you know good ideas and Jimmy Garoppolo's five game sets in twenty seventeen. And I feel like people are getting ahead of their, themselves. The Niners' schedule is brutal. They have back to back games on the road in the Eastern Time Zone to start the season, and they haven't won a game in the Eastern Time Zone since twenty fourteen. They've lost twelve in a row in the Eastern Time Zone. You know the Niners have a, a sort of like a cultural problem. They're like the Bengals. They're like the Jets. It's like the Lakers. It's it's really been uh, rotten from the top for twenty years, and the only person who's been able to cut through that is Jim Harbaugh, and uh, he didn't do it with good ideas; he did it with sheer force of will. Right. So I think, but you know, with Kyle Shanahan, he may not be able to cut through what's rotten in Santa Clara, and that's not necessarily anything wrong with him. A lot of a lot of well-meaning, smart people have failed here before.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's interesting, and it's yeah, it's definitely a bucket of cold water. But uh, it, it's good to hear, and it's a lot of those things like you know we don't think about. We don't think about that that win loss record on the road and what that means for 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 players. Like, because well. we're always
3: focused on what's happening on the field, but a lot of times in football, it's what's off the field. Yeah, it's what you don't see.
1: Yeah, for sure. I uh, I guess well, one thing before I let you go, and I probably should have brought this up. Uh, off the top, I mean, the, probably the, the most exciting player on the team is George Kittle. Do you think he can replicate what he did last year? I mean, I know we've talked about him here and there, talking about him being like a, a safety blanket for, for Garoppolo, but do you think he can replicate his massive 2018?
3: No, I don't think he's going to replicate it, but I still think, I think he can be extremely productive in different ways. Uh, he, I don't think he's going to have 1,377 receiving yards.
0: Yet. Right. Um,
3: but, cause I don't think he's going to get targeted as much. remember, Jimmy Garoppolo likes to spread the ball around. He sees himself as kind of like a Tom Brady figure. He likes to throw to Trent Taylor. He likes to throw to the running backs a lot. Like, he used Kevin Coleman like Brady uses James White. It was, it was really Nick Mullins who came into the game and was like, you know, let's not mess around. George feels the best player on the team. I'm going to throw to him 11 times a game. Yeah. That was really Mullins who did that. I'm not really sure. Like, Garoppolo may throw him, may throw him like six or seven targets a game. But where I think that George Kittle could make up from the lost yards is with touchdowns. I mean, he's only had seven in his career. He only had five last year. And the problem was he wasn't even getting targets in the end zone. When they got to the red zone, Kyle Shanahan kind of see, saw him as like just a yak guy and would give him like screens and like was kind of asking him to like bulldoze his way into the end zone, which is pretty tough. So far in, in OTAs and minicamp and training camp, they've been giving him a lot of targets in the end zone to prepare him to be that red zone threat that he is and should be. So he may be he may have 10 touchdown touches next year and only 850 receiving yards, yeah, which would still be an excellent season, but it would not be a replication of what he did last year.
1: right. no that that's 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 really interesting. I now that you mention it, it's like yeah the the system may have been similar, but the personnel was so different, and especially at the quarterback position that it, it really could shape out in so many different ways. So that's really important to think about going forward. Well, Grant, I, I want to thank you for your time. As always, it has been a pleasure. I, I really appreciate your insight. Everyone should be following Grant on Twitter, at Grant Cone. Check out his periscopes They're always not only informative, but entertaining. And uh, just a lot of good stuff there, some conspiracy theories that we can all delight in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks as always, Grant. It's been great great chatting with you.
3: This is my favorite show, Staphon. Thank you so much.
1: All right, that was some great stuff from Grant Cone right there. A couple of my big key takeaways is is firstly Grant is just a man I mean, he is awesome you really should be following him on Twitter at grant cone he is fantastic for all things 49ers his periscopes are super entertaining and he's just a good all-around dude so follow him but content wise what he was talking about that, that kind of really helped me when i was trying to set these projections for the 49ers for this upcoming season was Well, I came around with five of them. So here they are. Number one is that he expects this offense to be high yardage, but possibly low scoring just because of inefficient red zone play, including what he perceives as numerous turnovers, penalties, and whatnot. Number two, Jimmy Garoppolo is not like the quarterbacks they used most of last year. He likes to spread the ball around. Well, what does that mean? That leads into number three, George Kittle. He expects to have fewer yards this year than last but possibly more touchdowns. When we look into our projections, I'll let you know what that means for his overall ranking and in my perception for him going into this season. But that was interesting. Staying with the passing game, number four, he believes that Pettis, although having a couple rough days of practice, should bounce back and be fine. And at the very least, he should have every opportunity to thrive. They really want Pettis to work out. So there is a certain floor that we can expect at least in the beginning of the season while they try to let him go my final takeaway number five is that Tevin Coleman really does look like the lead back when you hear Grant talk he says he's been looking really good in preseason he's been working as a primary back this has been further confirmed by the fact that Jarek McKinnon Uh, came off the pup list and practiced, as Grant mentioned. But later that day, after we were done recording, we found out that he was not feeling good at all after working out for a couple of days, and he will be shut down for a while. And while he can't go back on the PUP, if he is slow to recover, there is a possibility that he could start the season on the IR, just showing that Coleman really does have this back at least secure it as the main guy. We'll have to see what Breida and Mostert do. But again, we'll use the projection machine to break down what we can expect from the position players. So to do that, the Rotoviz projection machine will kind of help you through the process of determining what kind of historical trends we can use to project the number of carries that each running back will have. So if we just look at last year, the 49ers ran about 59.6 plays per game. Uh, They had 26.4 run plays, 33.2 pass plays. That's both 11th and 20th, respectively. And I expect, just given uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's health, the addition of Tevin Coleman, and the development and maturation of some of the wide receiver core, that they'll be a more efficient offense than they were last year. Uh, They really did struggle at times. So I, I don't have them as an elite offense by any means, but I do project them to have about 61.2 plays per game, roughly 448 rushing plays for the season, and 531 pass attempts. And if we look at how that could be carried out or how those carries could be split, I think it's realistic to believe that Breida and McKinnon really work into each other's playing time and kind of split the role with Tevin Coleman. So I have Coleman getting 40% of the rushes and Breida and McKinnon splitting about 40%. And the final 20% is divvied up between, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo, who will, you know, probably rush one or two times per game, as well as some of the receivers, Pettis and Goodwin, who I expect to have a few carries. And of course, you never know what will happen with Mustard. So Coleman's 40% workload will likely result in about 180 carries for 780 yards and approximately six to seven touchdowns. I went ahead and gave him the, the high number there because I did Only give him 40%, so kind of splitting my differences there. And that leads to 119.9 points if you just look at those. If you include his receiving totals, we project him to have about 33 receptions for 290 yards and three touchdowns. This is good enough to make Tevin Coleman my running back 25 in standard and 26 in PPR. Now, that's pretty close to where he's going. He's going right at RB 28 about 61st overall so not too different from our projections here with the road of his machine last year he finished as RB 18 so I think here like with my projections as well as the fact that he's going as late as he is I expect him to outperform that RB 28 61 overall so I'm super comfortable taking him in the sixth round Uh, I've, I've actually grabbed him in the fifth round in a few drafts where I've gone zero RB and I feel really comfortable with that The other two running backs with their workload, I don't project them to have standalone value without some sort of injury. My total rankings for them, like I said, not necessarily targets for me. I've got Breida as my running back 43, which is six spots higher than where he's going in drafts. And Jarek McKinnon, I am a little bit lower on than ADP. I have him as my 51st running back where he is going 43rd and 112th off the board. So looking at the running back position, I think Tevin Coleman is a great target where he's going. He has pretty high upside with this offense if he can carve out a leading role. And even if he doesn't, even if he only managed to get that 40%, it still puts him in a very fair draft location based on ADP. So definitely someone that you can feel confident going with this season. If we look at the wide receiver and tight end position, I think something Grant said that I've already said was one of my main points here is that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the same as Nick Mullins or Bethard. He is going to spread the ball around a little bit. So I don't anticipate a 28.6% target share to go to the tight end position. I think it will be a little bit lower as he looks to spread the ball around to receivers like Trent Taylor, Marquise Goodwin, Debo Samuel, and of course, Dante Pettis. I do still think that George Kittle is a valuable asset in fantasy this year. I project him to have about 78 receptions with 1,018 yards and six touchdowns, which will be good enough for tight end two in standard and three in PPR. Of course, he is going right behind Kelsey and Ertz as your tight end three at around 33rd overall. I don't typically draft tight ends that early, but that is definitely a fair price considering you're going to get top 15 wide receiver production most likely from George Kittle. Even though Grant predicts a decrease in his yards and maybe even his receptions, he does think that the touchdowns will come back, which kind of evens things out, so I feel comfortable with him. From the wide receiver core, Dante Pettis is the only player I'm really targeting. He is going as your wide receiver 32, number 80 overall. Of course, last year he finished the season strong. My projections leave him to be your wide receiver 23 in standard and 31 in PPR with 61 receptions for 918 yards and six touchdowns. I think that's realistic for Pettis to to accomplish even at only an 18% target share. The rest of the receivers, I'm not super excited about. I am a little bit higher on Trent Taylor than ADP suggests. He's going as the 126th receiver. I like him more like wide receiver number 70 in standard and a little bit better wide receiver 65 in PPR. But even that is pretty late in your drafts and and, and nothing more than just a dart throw. Marquise Goodwin, Devo Samuel, they both could emerge as fantasy relevant players. I do like Marquise Goodwin in a best ball scenario, but I'm not really targeting any of these guys. Again, I just don't know if the target share is going to be there for the secondary and tertiary receivers, given that Jimmy Garoppolo does like to spread the ball around. George Kittle will demand a high number of targets. And of course, we have got some good running backs out of the backfield looking to catch passes as well. So, that's going to do it for the 49er section. Don't go anywhere, though. I've got my conversation with Matt Harmon coming up next, where we talk about the LA Rams, specifically the wide receiver core, and then we talk a little bit about some of the other divisions. After the interview, I'll get into some of the projections for the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals, and we can see if there's anything we can figure out, any players to target from those teams. So, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Harmon. All right, and I'm joined by Matt Harmon. How the hell
4: are you, Harmon? I'm great. I mean, things are good. I'm ready for football season to 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 really be here. At least I think I'm mentally and emotionally ready. I don't know if workload wise I'm totally ready, uh, but but you know, at the same time, uh, there's so many good storylines that I'm you know already following and already like knee deep in that uh, it's it's an exciting time of year for sure.
1: Oh yeah, man, it's good. And last time we talked, it was right after the season, and, and you and I were kind of dabbling in uh i don't even remember what it was called now but the football experience that uh that went belly up halfway through the season but uh times have changed i'm I'm ready for some of this yeah yeah i don't know how i forgot that but (laughs) that
4: feels like a hundred years ago i
1: know i know and we were like we were so desperate for fantasy that we were trying to make that work but uh yeah now we've got the real stuff and uh, i have you on to talk about the nfc west I, I specifically wanted you to talk about, you know, your hometown team in the the Los, La- Los Angeles Rams, partially just to get under uh, Liz Loza's skin. Just I know it's it's her adopted team down there, but uh, I also just wanted your perspective because the receiving core there is just insane, and I don't know what to do with it. And I didn't know a better person to talk to um, about receivers uh, other than you. So I, I definitely was excited that you were able to join me today.
4: Yeah, this is one of the most interesting receiver course to break down, you know, for fantasy, but also for just real life too, because I think they're they're such an interesting and diverse group.
1: Yeah, well, if you could, before we jump into the fantasy perspective, all three of these guys are are incredible. We've got Woods, Cooks, and, and Cup. For people who aren't aware, and just from like a, a talent perspective and, and what you do with reception perception, um, which of these guys? do you think separates themselves from the others? Or or are you impressed by all of them?
4: I'm impressed by all of them, and I'm impressed by the fact that they win in such different ways Um, you know Brandon Cooks is a player in reception perception who you know has never been one of the most elite separators in the NFL but I think a lot of that has to do with the routes that he runs you know when you're a vertical receiver you're running a lot of nine routes a lot of post routes corner routes even the deep outs you know those are some of the routes that in reception perception which for those who are not familiar is a series where I'm trying to quantify route running and I've been doing it over the last five years so the actual span of Brandon Cook's career so I've logged every single season he has you know naturally those routes are going to be the ones that receivers struggle to get open on the most because they are the harder routes to run you know the farther you go down the field the more difficult it is to create separation if you look at just the graph of overall league-wide success rate it starts to dip as you go down the field, as you would expect, you know, because again, creating separation farther downfield is harder than it is in the short area. So that's important context with Brandon Cooks' reception perception. But what was really interesting is that I think he enjoyed the best season of his five-year career by far with the Rams, and it really wasn't even close. You know, he set personal benchmarks in in not just his raw stats, but also in his success rate versus man and press coverage scores. And I think a lot of that is that Sean McVay actually used. Brandon Cooks on on fewer deep routes. You know, a lot of the, a lot of what he did with Cooks was use him on in breaking routes, some slants, some crossers, and I think that's just a great fit with what Jared Goff does really well as a passer. So he kind of he's not. I don't think he is a true traditional number one receiver, but you don't really have to be in this offense because right. yeah. you have two other players who are diverse in their skill sets and fill particular roles. And I think that brings you to Robert Woods, who. I think it's funny, like if you think back a couple of years ago, people kind of panned the Robert Woods signing as being too expensive, but he's almost become a value at this point. And what he does really well is he's the guy who creates really good separation on outbreaking routes, you know, the out pattern, the comeback, the flat. You know, those are those more sideline throws you see Woods do really well. But he's also a guy who is great against zone coverage, he's great, he's solid against man coverage, and he can do a lot of different things for. The Rams. He plays that flanker receiver role normally, but we saw last year when Cooper Cup went down, he transitions to the inside because he is that solid route runner. And Cooper Cup is the one of the most fascinating players in the league to me because I don't think there is anybody who has a role quite like Cooper Cup, and it, it's one of those things like you could say whatever you want about Cooper Cup coming out of college, you know, and I didn't think that he was a great separator. I didn't think he had the athleticism really to be. An outside receiver, but he almost plays like a tight end role. It's it's really notable how often the Rams, when you watch them on film, they ask him to chip a rusher before going into a flat route. He frequently faces zone coverage. Almost none of his routes come with the jam. In his 2018 reception perception sample, he saw a press attempt on just 9.7% of his routes. That's the second lowest of the over 200 players I've sampled since 2014. And he ran against zone coverage on almost 69% of his routes. That's the highest of any player I've charted over the last five years. So Really, you can see he plays such a unique role for this offense. And, you know, again, he's not a number one receiver, not even close. But you can see what Jared Goff, you know, kind of became in the later half of the year. You know, a bit of a skittish player, you know, a guy who wasn't really eager to throw into tight windows. You can see why he likes to throw to Cooper Cup so much.
1: Yeah. Do you think part of that reason for him, Goff, that is, tailing off was – uh cup being being out with that injury do you think there was a correlation there or is it just am i reading too much into that
4: no i mean look number one it could totally be random right because sometimes things happen in the nfl and they just happen like i think that's one thing when you cover the sport professionally or you're really trying to be like a dedicated fantasy player or something like that sometimes you just have to admit to yourself that hey sometimes you know you know what happens <laughs> sometimes yeah. things happen like because That's just the reality of the situation. We're dealing in small sample sizes, and not everything means something because, you know, it it just because it happened. However, I do think Cooper Cup's absence, because traditionally, I'm never gonna say, oh, the offense loses its big slot receiver, its slot receiver, and it just completely goes in the tank. You know, like that's never something I normally think. But I think the interesting part about this Cooper Cup Jared Goff relationship is again. I've realized the last year that I've spent so much time over the last five NFL seasons studying receivers and inherently you're spending a lot of time with the quarterbacks too and you start to learn which quarterbacks kind of fall in love with which type of receivers. And I think Goff really likes those wide open windows. He loves the fact that I have this guy, Cooper cup, who's always going to be open against zone, almost always going to be open against zone coverage in the middle of the field. He's going to get a free release. He's just such a layup throw that I think Goff really values that. And when that was removed from the offense, cause yeah, Robert Woods transitioned to playing a slot receiver role, but he wasn't, he wasn't out there playing like Cooper cup is playing, you know, Right. right. because of, again, that, that highly specialized role, So it it just it removing that from the offense almost more than the player, I think, was a a big loss for Goff.
1: Yeah. So real quick to to wrap up uh, on the receivers here. uh, Cooks is going 15 as wide receiver 15th. uh, Woods is 19th and Cup is 21. So it's pretty crazy that you got three wide receivers in the top 21 from the same offense. Do you think that's the right order? Woods? I mean, sorry, Cooks, then Woods, then Cup. Is that how you would rank them?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the one that I'm really confident in is that Cooks is number one. You know, I think the the fact that he's been so productive over across a, a variety of different offenses. And, again, I think he had his best season as a pro in his first year with the Rams. Um, I'm really confident in him as, like, a fourth-round pick in fantasy. The other two guys I haven't really drafted as much of. Um, and I think also just a, a little bit because, number one, with Cooper Cup, it sounds like he's healthy, which is great. And if he's, if he's healthy, I think he – just returns right back into such a slam dunk role. So then the di- the differentiation there between Cooper Cooper cup and Robert was right now. I think I'd have woods higher because I'm more confident in his health. I'm more confident in the fact that he's going to be out there week one and at a hundred percent strength. But I think a Cooper cup probably becomes a more valuable fantasy receiver. If he is hundred percent healthy.
1: I'd like to hear that. I grabbed him in Scott fishbowl. I didn't feel great about it at the time. I think I went a little bit too early, but I was just desperate uh, for, for just a little stability. And, then I realized, I don't know if he's going to provide that stability with the injury. So uh, anyway, we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's uh, talk about Goff. You've, you've been mentioning him for a little bit. Now with these three receivers, I mean, the sky's the limit for this passing offense. I think it could be really, uh, really exciting yet again. I mean, the, the Rams were third in the league in total plays last year with 66 and a half. Uh, you know, average about 35, 40 passes per game. So there's a lot of volume in this offense. Yet, Jared Goff is going right around QB12. I just got done with my projections for different teams, and I don't really compare um, players until the very end, and I realize that I am way higher on Goff than anyone else. I have him as like my QB6. Am I absolutely crazy for thinking uh, that he could just have a monster year with this receiving core, and if Gurley isn't getting as many touches, maybe they try to do a little bit more in the short passing game and stuff like that? Am Am I crazy? Am I way too high on Goff?
4: I feel like you're pretty high on golf. I actually, <laughs> I actually did my project, and I'm the same way as you do. I do my projections, and I don't really compare anybody until the very end, like posi- like within the position or anything yeah. like that.
1: Cam Newton was another yeah. guy I was way too high on, <laughs> but we'll, oh yeah. But me- I know you're me- a Carolina guy, so you, you you probably have sympathy for that.
4: Oh, like Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, like those guys are all really high to me, and that's that's kind of the point that it comes to with Jared Goff is number one. Yeah, th- this offense does it's it ran a lot of plays last year it wasn't so heavy on plays run the year before but last year obviously it really stood out i do wonder if the the fact that i think they do still want to be committed to the run game even if it's not through girly even if it's you know, split between several different guys. I think that's totally a possibility. My thing is also with Jared Goff is he just has no upside as a runner. So that sure. and that's yeah. the thing, when when you do projections and you're really focused on fantasy. Like that's why I always end up high on guys like Lamar Jackson or even Dak Prescott or you know Jameis Winston even has a little bit of upside as a runner, like especially from a touchdown perspective. So guys like Jared Goff. Philip Rivers, you know, even Tom Brady this year, those guys are always going to come in lower in your projections when you do things the way I do because of, they just have no rushing upside. So I have golf right around, I have golf in my fourth tier of quarterbacks uh, right alongside guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, Drew Brees. So in a very fair range, but just not a guy that not a guy that I think you're going to be getting. Like, I, I don't, I think that if you're going to go for quarterbacks outside of you know the top five or six guys, You're looking for players like Jackson or Kyler Murray who have access to that great ceiling from a season-long perspective. I think uh, Goff has a very solid floor, but I don't think that he has access to, like, top-five quarterback ceiling.
1: Sure, and and I think one of the reasons I had him projected so high is I had him throwing, uh, like, 31 touchdown passes this year, which, you know, is a lot. Uh, but again, like when I was ranking players before I put the projections out there, he was nowhere near the, <laughs> nowhere near the top. He was more around that, you know, 11 to 14 range where like you're talking about. So I probably have to go and adjust some of my numbers on him. Uh, real quick, before we finish up on the Rams, what are you doing, uh, with Todd Gurley? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer here. I think it, it really depends on, on your risk, uh, aversion, but h- how are you treating the situation? Do you have any shares of Gurley so far?
4: Oh yeah, I I do. I've taken him here and there. I will take him in the third round. You know, if he makes it to round three, very like at this point, I think that's you got to do it because who are you taking in round three that has access to the sort of ceiling that Gurley does? And I, I think that he still has a great ceiling because yeah. he's a great player in a in a great offense. Um, I don't think he has. I don't think he can. I don't think he has access to being a tier one running back. I don't think he has a chance to be Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, if he decides to play. <laughs> um, right, like right. I, think, I don't think that he has access to that type of ceiling anymore because I just don't believe that workload or the efficiency is gonna carry over into this year. But I still think that depending on team construction, and this is always the case with with when you're taking risky players, it matters who you've taken before and who you're planning to take after them. Like, for example, if I have taken a couple of running backs in round one and two, I'm totally cool with taking on the risk of Todd Gurley because running back is such a fragile position that if I at least feel like I have two secure bets in front of him, then I feel much more likely to take on the risk of Gurley like if I go David Johnson or Alvin Kamara in round one Maybe I'm much more willing to take on Todd Gurley as my second running back Because I could potentially have two RB ones in this scenario And if Gurley turns out to be a dud at least I still have one more to fall back on
1: right now I, I think that's that's spot-on I have been avoiding him so far. Most of my drafts, he's not fallen quite that far, and I happen to be super high on Leonard Fournette. And so, if they're both there, nice. I've been going Leonard Fournette, and he's another guy that after my projections, like, oh my god, I have him number nine. What's wrong me, with me? Me too.
4: <laughs> me too. Actually, and I'm really trying. I actually was just looking at that this morning. And I was like, oh my god, because I- I'm trying to put my tears together. I'm like, do I really want to put Fournette up there yeah, with like do all it, these man. guys? Like, do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: yeah.
1: yeah. I-, I-, I was listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago. we were doing the villains. Um, like fantasy villains and Fournette came up, and I was just like, "Oh man, I'm so on! I'm so on the Fournette train this year. It's 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 going to be ugly." <laughs> but uh, let's look around the division real quick. Another another uh, one of the things I love about the the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast that you guys do is Liz uh, creates these really fun diverse segments. And then she ex- has to explain them to you. <laughs> and it's always quite enjoyable to listen to the explanation. But but in one of them, you guys were talking about like the upside down, little stranger things influence there. And you're talking about the Arizona Cardinals. And everyone, it seems like, in the fantasy community is super excited about what Arizona is going to do with Kingsbury and and Kyler and, and, and company. And yet there is this huge potential for uh, it just falling flat and, and it not really producing much. So what is your kind of realistic outlook on the Cardinals uh, for this upcoming season?
4: Yeah, I I think I'm pretty high on them. Um, from just a plays run perspective, from a volume perspective, I think it's going to be really be there for this offense. And, you know, especially from a passing perspective, um, I'm really into David Johnson, you know, he months and months and months ago was the clear 1.05 to me. Um, and really, I don't even know how much, like right now in my running back tiers, I've got Alvin Kamara, number one, Zeke or Saquon Barkley number two Christian McCaffrey number three and alone in tier one and I think tier two is basically Zeke with the discount that he may or may not miss some games I still think he ends up reporting it, too. and he's playing week one but right now I'm going to slide him in that second tier just for the risk but I think had he not been in there I think David Johnson would just be by himself in tier two because I think he has access to tier one ceiling um, where, where no one else does, you know, I don't right. think James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Dalvin Cook, these guys have have access to that. So I think David Johnson's unique in that way because I really think like when you're looking at this receiver core, I think I'm in on Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald at their cost. But after that, there's just nothing else really secure here. Yeah, like they're, they're, they weren't able to get a deal done with Crabtree, but they clearly wanted to, you know right it shows Isabel you something is hurt. Hakeem Butler's not doing anything in camp like Kevin White is the third receiver on the depth chart like Keyshawn Johnson their third rookie drafted is the guy who has been getting the beat writer hype so I think it just leads you all back to David Johnson And I think the fact that Kyler Murray can run and he has three really good weapons to, to throw to in Johnson Fitzgerald and Kirk I'm really in on that I, I love Kirk as a player I'm, I'm really excited for him in this offense
1: yeah, and I think I think the exciting thing about drafting Cardinals is outside of David Johnson, you're getting everyone fairly cheap. So even if the offense does fall flat, you're not investing a top six pick on, on most of these guys. So uh, you can get some of these guys late. It sounds like Kirk and Fitzgerald are guys that, that you might be targeting. Let's talk about the Seahawks real quick. This is actually uh, my my favorite team, so I've got a lot to say about them, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Now, I have a confession to make, Carmen. I, uh, in prepping for this show, and prepping talking for you, I, I I was listening to your rookie orientation episode with DK Metcalf. That was the only time, the first time I listened to that podcast. And I gotta say, man... That is a fantastic podcast. Thank you. Well done. I really, really enjoy it. The production level on it, the content, super amazing. I'm gonna now go listen uh, to every one of your episodes. Um, and you got me teary eyed listening to DK <laughs> when he picked up the phone talking to Snyder and Carol. I was like, man, this is exciting. Now he does have an oblique strain, uh, so so we'll have to we'll have to see what happens there. But Tyler Lockett, I think we all feel pretty comfortable with his ADP. Uh, it, it hasn't gotten too crazy yet, and I don't think it will. I think it's kind of settled in where it will be. Uh, but but the wide receiver two in that offense is that someone that you're even interested in, given how rarely the Seahawks are throwing the ball?
4: Probably not, especially because I don't think we're going to have great clear. The preseason I think will clear things up. Like if DK Metcalf is out there running against the wide receiver two, clear like he's running all of his routes with Russell Wilson, he's running, you know, he's getting pulled out there you know when the starters get out I think that'll be a really good sign for him like there's been I mean you just can't trust anything out of Seattle because everything is sunshine and rainbows with old Pete Carroll but I am really excited about DK in Seattle from the long term you can hear it on that podcast I think and I'm glad you brought that up I think that was my favorite episode that we did you know because we had a good mix of great thank you yeah we had a good mix of everything and I'm really excited about him long term there and just you know for the most part, it's like it's just Tyler Lockett, no one else to me. And it just keeps coming back to Tyler Lockett because I think everything else is really unproven here. And I think like if we were comfortable, like you said, we were comfortable with Doug Baldwin's ADP a couple of years ago. Like we should be comfortable with Tyler Lockett because I think he's a great player, too. He showed it last year. And yeah, he will regress some of these efficiency statistics. But who else is getting the ball here?
1: No, totally. And and the answer to that is probably Carson or Penny, you know, running the football as much as they do. I uh, I think everyone kind of sleeps on Chris Carson. People don't really believe in him as a talent. They just think, oh, he's, you know, he's the incumbent. So he he's not going anywhere. But man, watching every single Seahawks game, uh, yeah, he's Duke good. can ball. And, and I know Rashad Penny is good too. And I really, I, I think both of these guys going where they are is fair. I like Penny a little bit better just because he's cheaper. And if something did happen to Carson, I mean, if Penny had that workload to himself if either of them had that workload to their to theirself they they could be in that you know tier two that you're talking about with David Johnson just based on volume alone. so I really like both of these running backs. Do you feel comfortable with their their current adp where where Carson's going you know a couple rounds ahead of Penny Yeah, I
4: think Carson should be um going ahead of penny for sure um and on Carson, I've been drafting him. But Penny's interesting too because he has upside if Carson is to get hurt again. He becomes the most you know, Mike Davis is gone. He becomes the most likely starter. Um and I think he'd he'd walk into a really good role. But like right now I'm comfortable with both of them because of how how much this team runs. You know, I think Carson is right. a solid floor play RB2, and then you have Penny as a flex that you are debating starting with other guys every week and uh, kind of hoping for some big plays while also realizing that, hey, if Carson ever goes down, this is a guy who, like you said, could really get into you know fringe rb1 high-end rb2 territory because of the volume of this offense
1: yeah i've i've got a couple of shares of penny and and it's one of those things like i'll feel comfortable putting him in in my flex because i know they're going to use him so much and then yeah there's there is that huge huge upside now i'm gonna let you go here in just uh, just a second here but i know you know you you recently i believe adopted the 49ers as as one of your teams here so uh any 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 standouts outside of you know like george kittle of course uh is is the big guy. But uh this time last year we were all talking about Marquise Goodwin. Now it's Dante Pettis. Do you do you have any sort of feelings about this wide receiver? Yeah, I,
4: I would you know my relationship status with Carolina is always that it's complicated. So uh the 49ers have kind of become the <laughs> other woman this year as I always have one around. Um but man the Panthers are making it hard not to pull up my heartstrings this year. But that's a topic for another podcast. Um right. however with the 49ers, yeah I think obviously George Kittle's the man um, I think you know, Pettis is a great bet where he's going right now. I think he, he is the clear top receiver here to me because he combines the short game, the short route running of players like Devo Samuel and Jalen Hurd that they drafted this year along with the vertical ability of a guy like Marquise Goodwin. I, and I still think Goodwin is a fine bet super late in drafts because the air yards volume should still be there. I still think he is the number two receiver in this offense and you but you look at pettis he combines both because i think in reception perception he kind of looks super similar to like a young keenan allen so i think he's interesting for Mm -hmm. sure and also the thing that my most something i'm becoming more and more confident of and you know this could make look like a jackass in a couple of months and you know plenty of things can do that but (laughs) i think the way that the backfield is stacking up right now you know Jarrett McKinnon just comes off PUP today as we're recording this. Matt Breida didn't really practice much this summer, but I, st- I or this spring, but I think he's a good runner. But to me, Tevin Coleman looks like the entrenched RB1, not a workhorse, but there should be enough volume there to sustain him where he's going right now. He's become like a clear, you know, from a backfield that like I've adjusted my expectations. I thought this was going to be a backfield to avoid, but the fact that Coleman has stayed as like a sixth-round pick, I still think he is a great buy. I think he is a great buy there. I've adjusted on that while also still taking stabs on Brita and McKinnon super late in drafts. Cause you know, if anything happens to Coleman or, or things go haywire again, you adjust.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I know he's been a target for a lot of people who are trying to do like a, a, zero RB or a modified zero RB. Uh, I know one of the things I've been trying to do is, you know, if I have a top four pick, grab one of those stud running backs and then just go wide receiver, tight end. And then yeah, that sixth round. I feel pretty comfortable with, with Tevin Coleman as my RB two And, uh, you know, you, you want to be be sure you get a lot of other running backs on your squad if you're doing that sort of uh, strategy. But I, I, I I'm totally with you on that, and I, I think his ADP will rise as as uh, we get closer to to the NFL starting. Before I let you go here, um, just any other players in the NFC West that we didn't talk about that you uh, just really have to have to get out and and, and get your take on.
4: Now, I feel like we covered most of the main ones. Maybe the only thing is, you know, Daryl Henderson out in LA. And that's a that's a guy with, I feel like, yeah, he, you can say what his ADP is, but he has such a wide range in every single draft that, you know, if he gets in the eighth round range, I'm totally cool with taking him. But times when he goes up in like the fifth or sixth, that's aggressive because he could end up being... There are the running back range from rounds five to eight sucks this year. I feel like I say right. that every year, but this year particularly <laughs> feels really, really gross. There are so few players I'm confident in. Henderson is one guy from that range that, yeah, he has a great ceiling if Gurley, like, and his arthritic knee is just a total mess. But y- you got to also realize, like, he could be a stone zero, you know, like, it could be a complete whiff of a pick so he's a he's one of the toughest players i think to evaluate in fantasy football this year and like if you have a confident take on him like you're strong you're a stronger person than i am
1: right i feel like what 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 wouldn't be outside of the realms of uh not even possibility but probability is something like what happened with chubb last year where he's getting drafted and then you know girly goes out performs well people start dropping him to pick up other players because we have to do that, and then Gurley goes down, and yeah. and, and there he is sitting on the waiver wire, and, and someone else gets him anyway, and, and that would be very frustrating. But yeah, like you said, it's just really hard to know what they're going to do because they're you know they have no no incentive to show us what their plans are for for Gurley or Henderson's usage this year.
4: I mean, look look, let's look at it this way: like a player that he gets compared to all the time is Alvin Kamara. You know, from like the the Rams even say they want to use him in that way. Camara was a guy that a lot of people drafted and dropped. You know that happens right. with running backs every single year. You know it's it's guys like people drafted Aaron Jones a ton aggressively last year, and then they ended up dropping him, and then he comes and you know he comes and ends up winning championships on other people's teams. Same thing was like Nick Chubb, and like so, it could be a total situation like that, which is just a shame because yeah, you like you you got you got a scenario right in the in the draft situation, but like also yeah, your your team's not going to benefit from it, so it's a, it's a it's a pretty big bummer.
1: Harmon, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time uh, talking a little bit about the Rams and NFC West. Um... Let everyone know where they can find you on, on Twitter and, and some of the projects that you're working on.
4: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And you can uh, keep up with pretty much all my work there. But, you know, I'm, I'm with Yahoo Sports and it's a it's a blast. we got so much going on, you know, including the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast, as you mentioned, and so much good video content coming out. So So keep it tuned. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Wow, so there's a lot to get into there. Thank you, Matt, so much for all that insight. Let's start off with the Rams. I'm not gonna go into too much depth on the running back position because there is just so much unknown surrounding Todd Gurley. He's currently going as your running back number eighteenth in the beginning of the second round. But of course, we all know he finished last year as the RB1. So it really does come down to just how risk adverse you are. Matt and I got into that quite a bit, so no real need to press into that much further. I personally have him projected as my running back sixth in both in both formats. So I feel pretty comfortable taking him where he's going, although I understand players who don't. Of course, if you don't believe in Gurley, go and grab Henderson. Now, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about Jared Goff and his wide receiver weapons. Uh, during the interview, I, I spoke to, to Harmon about how I was really high on Goff. And I said, man, maybe I need to readjust my projections. Well, I went back and and used the Rotoviz projection machine and did just that. Jared Goff slipped down to number seven in four-point touchdown leagues and number nine in six-point per-touchdown leagues. Some of the adjustments I made were decreasing the amount of touchdowns as well as some of the yards and just reevaluating how many interceptions I think he might throw. So those did take place. I did want to spend a little bit more time talking about the wide receiver position because while all these guys are super highly rated, we have, as I mentioned, we have Cooks at 15, Woods at 16, and Cup at 21. What can we actually project? Are those numbers realistic? Well, last year, the Rams threw to the receiver position about 64% of the time. So I think it's reasonable to expect that number to increase, especially if Todd Gurley is injured. I would not be surprised if they try to get Cooper Cup more involved. But I went ahead and used that 64%. Just as a baseline number. And if you divvy that out between the wide receivers, Woods and Cooks end up with right around 21 to 20% of the target share. And Cooper Cup, I had him right around 18%. But with their various catch rates, that results in I'll give you Woods, Cooks, and then Cup. Woods with 78 receptions for about 1,054 yards. Brandon Cooks, I have with 74 receptions for 1,048. And Cooper Cup with 68 receptions and 874 receiving yards. I have them each slated between 6 and 7 touchdowns. So when you look at all of that, I end up having Robert Woods a little bit ahead, actually, of Brandon Cooks. I think I just think the floor is there a little bit more than I do for Brandon Cooks. I have Woods with 154.5 points in standard, 220 in PPR. And Brandon Cooks right behind him with 146 points in standard, 221 in PPR. Cooper Cup just a bit behind them 123 and 192 respectively. Those ranks would kind of clump them all fairly close. In standard I've got Robert Woods as my wide receiver 17. Cooks is number 20 and Cup is 29 so a little lower than where ADP has them but in PPR I've got Cooks and Woods at 18 and 19 and Cooper Cup at 30. So while I'm a little lower on them Then consensus, I still do think they provide a lot of value on draft day, so do not hesitate in grabbing them. I do not think you can expect much from the tight end position on the Rams, so we will move on from there. I'd like to talk about the Arizona Cardinals next, and this is really a tough one for me because it's really difficult to project just exactly what is going to take place in Arizona. Now we know that their new coach, Cliff Kingsbury, wants to push the pace of play way up at texas tech he averaged around 82 plays per game which is insane and that's definitely not going to happen this year but this effort to increase the pace of play could have a few effects it could create a ton of value if the offense is effective it means more rushes more targets and we all know that in fantasy football volume is king however if the pace of play is not sustainable or if their offense is ineffective it could lead to turnovers a tired defense, negative game scripts that could make play calling extremely predictable and could just result in in bad numbers for just about everyone. So I have Kyler Murray ranked a little lower than ADP. I think that this offense might not start clicking until a little bit through the season. I think it could be tough to adapt to the NFL for a rookie quarterback trying to play up-tempo. So I have him as my QB 17. However, I do realize... That the floor may be low, but the ceiling is tremendously high with Kyler Murray. As Harmon mentioned, his rushing potential alone could make him a real fantasy superstar this year. So while I I am a little lower on him than consensus, as far as my projections go, I do think he could provide a lot of value for your team. So he's definitely not someone I'm shying away from in a super flex league, but not someone I want to be relying on in a one quarterback league. David Johnson is your RB5 right now. That's exactly where I have him ranked in standard. And I have him a little bit lower at number six in PPR, but a huge value. And the one player on the Arizona Cardinals that I think is really almost game script proof. I think if the offense is ineffective and they're getting behind in games and having to throw, I think his targets will increase. And if they are able to produce a solid offense, he'll be dominating with rushes. So to me, David Johnson is super safe. Beyond that, I'm not exactly sure what to think of this wide receiver core. Christian Kirk is leading the way as wide receiver 33, followed by Fitzgerald as wide receiver 39. is going quite a bit later as your wide receiver 69. So Kirk and Fitz are pretty relevant for fantasy. I'm actually a bit higher on Christian Kirk than consensus. I have him as my wide receiver 26 in standard and 22 in PPR. I project him to have 75 receptions for 940 yards and six touchdowns, which is quite a bit. I think he will be the number one receiver in Arizona. Fitzgerald I've got quite a bit behind as wide receiver 43 in standard and 38 in PPR with 71 receptions for 790 yards and four touchdowns. So I think Kirk is the wide receiving option that you're going to want in fantasy this year. Again, I am higher on him than ADP and Fitz, I'm a little lower on. Isabella, of course, is worth a dart throw, and at tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones is your tight end, 42. I don't have a whole lot of faith that he'll be super involved in the offense, but you never know with a new quarterback, a new system, if you pass on tight end, you may want to grab him late, see if he's worth streaming at some point during the year, but definitely not a target for me. Finally, let's get into the Seattle Seahawks, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what to expect from Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is currently your QB number eight on the year, and he finished as QB number nine last year. And that was despite an unbelievable 8% touchdown rate, which was the highest of his career, the second in the league, only Mahomes was higher. Russell Wilson's career average is right around 6%, which would have dropped his touchdowns from 35 down to 26 which would have had a huge impact on his overall points total. And this isn't because Russell Wilson isn't great. I think Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I love the guy. This is all about the-
2: this episode is brought to you by decoy wines of Sonoma, California. Decoy by Duckhorn, elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.